gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to uh, another episode of Cincy Brewcast, and we have to start with a disclaimer. I'm technically, I'm not in Cincinnati right now, so don't send me your angry emails. I recognize it, but I think that these guys do play a part in the culture of Cincinnati craft beer. That's how I'm going to word this and how I'm going to express, and you guys will understand in a minute when I tell you where I am, but um, what it means to be... Cincinnati beer has grown and changed and evolved a ton over the last however many years that we've been doing the show. And um, I'm kind of forced to always reevaluate what that means and how, how I bring it to you guys. So we're at Warped Wing, but we are at the new Warped Wing, the Barrel Room and Smokery. Is that the official it. name That's of where it. we're at? Um, <laughs> this is a, uh, a, a barrel aging facility, a pilot brewery, a restaurant, a distribution warehouse, a um, a, a, a community it's, it's like starter for Springboro. Charlie for this, and the this. Chocolate Factory. <laughs> We're here to fulfill your beer dreams for you. It's um, you guys, and we'll talk about the space because you guys have done a, a amazing job at, um, at kind of bringing some of the personality of Warped Wing uh, the original location over here, and then also giving this its own kind of personality. So we'll we'll talk about all that. But before we do that, we have to drink a beer because this From is a beer, beer podcast. Um, we've got a couple really good ones sitting in front of me here. Um, some barrel aged stuff, some non barrel aged stuff, some collaborations. Uh, where should we start on here? Well, if you want to go in order of flavor intensity, I would probably suggest that you start with the Cranberry Kolsch, which we is what that. we did for the Christmas festival uh, here in Springboro in conjunction with uh, Crooked Handle that's just up the road, our friend Jason Moore. Um, Before I do that, I should probably introduce you guys. I didn't do that. I'm really bad at this podcasting thing. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to have people guess who we were. <laughs> that would be fun. If we, Nick's the good-looking one. <laughs> I'm the cantankerous one. If, That's all you need to know. If we were doing this like live or something, that would actually be really fun just to keep your faces off and people have to start guessing where I am and who's on the show. I, I, I will figure out this podcasting thing one of these days. Um, John, Nick, Warped Wing, uh, Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. Yeah, thanks. This is this is a fun one. We have drank Warped Wing beer on the show before, um, randomly, be it at beer festivals or at Punch Out, things like that. I'm pretty sure that we've we've had the beer on the show quite a few Fabulous. times. So, yeah. awesome. um, people are familiar with where we're at. This is <laughs> <laughs> sweet, and I'm I'm fairly confident in saying that everybody that listens to this show has drank Warped Wing beer. Plenty of times. So. Fantastic. <laughs> I assume And so. plenty more to come, I hope. And, yeah. and we, we will get into the history of kind of what Warped Wing is and, and how you guys um, came to be a little bit. But we, we're going to focus, I think, pretty heavily on, on, on this space. So yeah. um, Cranberry Kolsch, Crooked Handle, Down the Street. You guys, um, one of the, in my opinion, one of the difficulties... When you open a second location in a new town, not that this is you know that far away from you know where you guys already were, mm-hmm. is trying to find a way to um, to welcome yourself into that community. We you know we've we've heard it with lots of you know when when Sierra Nevada came to uh, to North Carolina, trying to find a way to fit into that crazy craft beer community. How they managed it is this kind of a similar thing for you guys trying to find a way to. Uh, um, to let the, the the guys that were already here doing this 
know that you're not here to take away from what they do? Um, I could touch on that first. I think the, the, the nice part about it is that Jason's been a friend of ours at Crooked Handle and Christy. They've been friends of ours for a long time. So um, I reached out to him first uh, when we knew that this project was going to go uh, before it hit the airwaves, you know, as a, a matter of respect for our friends and said, hey, just FYI, this is what we have going on. And uh, the, the awesome thing about it is they were legitimately jazzed from day one uh, because, you know, they looked at it like, wow, this is going to bring more craft beer fans to Springboro and more people to the area, which it has, which, right. you know, is totally validated in just a couple months. And, um, you know, being forthright with them and letting them know before anyone else knew in the community was important to us because we value our friendships with, uh, you know, especially in the brewing community. And uh, it just so happened it worked out that we're really close with Jay. I mean, I talked to Jason. I'm in a text thread with him every day. I mean, <laughs> I usually get a thread text from him at 7 a.m. and late at night. So, you know, we already had that the relationship. And him and John had always been cool, too. And, um, of course, we talked about a collab and... Uh, you know, I'll let John talk about that. We've done, we've done a couple of collabs yeah. with JMO, yeah. Yeah. So, if you want to talk about the beer, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk how, about the. How did the idea for for the beer come about to start with? You know, you know, the Christmas festival. You guys have a Christmas beer already, a little more traditional type of Christmas beer. This let, is. Let me touch on Christmassy. That. Yeah, let me touch on that real quick, and then I'll let John because John and JMO decided the beer. Um, Obviously, in a COVID world here, uh, you know, I was helping the committee. I'm on the committee for Christmas at Springboro. Right. And it's the largest three-day festival in Ohio uh, as far as attendance. And that's a tough blow to the community to lose that right. with COVID. So we were challenged with coming up with uh, new ideas uh, to generate excitement. And one of those was, you know, the two local breweries come together and make a beer. Um you know, those guys have a couple Christmas beers. We have a couple holiday themed beers. And so, uh, we knew we wanted to do something different. Uh, we went out and what was cool. We actually talked with the retailers in Springboro and got their feedback on what kind of beer. And it was overwhelmingly like, Hey, we want something that's sessionable. People in this town want something that they can drink. It's approachable. So that kind of led the way, uh, to John and Jason, you know, taking it from there and saying, Hey, what do we want to do? Mm -hmm. Well, and so, uh, I think there was some, some part of that feedback was that, you know, they wanted some fruit in there too. And so, you know, cranberries, a holiday Thanksgiving, Christmas sort of fruit or side dish typically. So that was sort of a no brainer. And, and, with the fact that they wanted a sessionable, sessionable beer, you know, Kolsch was pretty, seemed like a pretty good vehicle for that. Um, so then we just had to figure out, you know, what we, how we were going to execute it. In, in, uh, we actually did a couple things. The cranberry edition sort of masked this a little bit, but, uh, you know, when we made it, we also put in uh, some orange peel and a little bit of coriander, trying to like pull out just a little citrus note. And it was interesting because uh, the cranberry went in, you know, later in the process, in the maturation stage. So the, that citrus note came forward really nicely. 
before the cranberry went in. It, the cranberry masks a little bit, but I, I think if you if you look hard enough, you can find just a very faint note of that. Citrus. I definitely get it yeah. with everything. Once somebody says it, then, yeah. then all of a sudden yeah. you can taste it. <laughs> yeah, but it it adds to that the, the character of the beer, right? It, it gives it a, a roundness, and, and really, you know, when you talk about uh, brewing or or working in the kitchen and, and making a dish, you know, there's a lot of times there's ingredients that are in there. They're not there to stand on their own, right? They're there to support the rest of what you're doing. And, and that's really what that does. Uh, and just helps round out the whole thing. Uh, I, I had a couple of our wait staff ask me if there was lactose in the beer, which there's not. Uh, they're like, it's so creamy. And it's like, well, that's because we did some of these things to help, you know, round the beer out and, and, and give it some dimensionality, right? Well, I, we've talked on this show, I think probably the last, the last two or three episodes in a row have been at places that have this really heavy focus on trying to create more balance than I think what is trendy right now. You yeah. know, the, the, the pastry stouts, the, you know, all this stuff. There's this, 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 this trend to kind of knock people upside the head and yeah, that's been around for a while. This flavor is, and then you kind of forget about everything else. Yeah. That's the default of craft beer, right? If, if you're not sure how much to add, you add more, (laughs) right? (laughs) But I, and I don't, I don't know if it's like this desire to just go this, this, I mean, it's as Americans, that's what we do. We just go bigger and bigger and bigger with things. But, um, or if it is, you know, just trying to, to hide everything. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's because. Well, I'm going to give is, people but. the benefit of the doubt and, and say that it's not to hide anything. But uh, I, I do think that there's a certain amount of obviousness that you have to do in order uh, to fulfill the description of the beer that you give your consumers. So, as an example, you're going to you're going to try this this next beer which is a chocolate beer in you know there was some hemming and hawing over the intensity of the chocolate you know as we were in production and, and making it and Fred who's our our head brewer and, and runs our production team uh, you know he wanted to do less and it was valid right I mean it was a really nice beer where he had it but it's like Fred it's a chocolate beer yeah Right. I mean, the chocolate has to really be forward. If, if the chocolate isn't forward enough, people are going to complain about it. Well, you know, to me, the, the, big, the big thing with balance is that, you know, not only does the beer have to, not, not only if you're trying to create a balanced beer, does that need to be balanced? But your, your overall picture of what you're making has to be balanced too. If you walk into a tap room and every beer is one of those big over the top, smack you upside the head, oh, yeah. pastry stouts or whatever it is. I don't want that. Likewise, if everything is a extremely well-balanced, easy drinking lager, I don't want that either. Like I want, no, I, I want, that. I want balance over. I want, I want a big IPA. I want a big pastry stout. I want, no, I, agree. I want that's, all of them to be yeah, there. Yes. No, I agree. That's spot on. That is, I may drink a you know, whole I lot need, more of the lagers. But. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. On. Well, and, and you know, you need to be, you know, like you said, with your tap list, you know, we're always trying to like make sure we've got a nice rounded selection, not only in the market, but also here in, in this tap room and downtown as well. In fact, we, you know, one of our, Retail managers, that's his job, is to make sure that, you know, 
we don't get too heavy one way or the other. You know, sometimes we'll package something up on the pilot system and we just got to sit on it until it makes sense to put it on. And uh, it's important. You know, I, I do the same thing. I get off work and it's like usually... I will go pick some random, like, I'm going to get off in the weeds, you know, which is a little bit backwards. Usually start with the lightest thing, and then you go to the, the biggest, weirdest thing. But I'll, I'll do it the opposite way, because it's like, okay, I'm going to have one of these. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> right. I'm going to have one. I'm going I'm to get a Whiskey Rebellion, or I'm going to get an Esther's Little Secret, or I'm going to get a you know, Baltic Argonaut, or whatever, right? And then I have that, and then it's like, okay... Hit me with the uh, hydro haze or the trotwood or the flyer or yeah. whatever, where I can have you know two, three, four beers and still get home in one piece. Right. We actually had a cool night last night. We we met this guy from Germany and yeah. we sat and drank like the Kolsch and lagers, and it was yeah, that's that all was he pretty wanted. cool. If it was a lager beer, he was going to try it. If yeah. it wasn't, he had no interest. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is almost a. Um, I'll take a I'll take a hydro haze. A, Thanks, Lucy. A so, lost sorry. art to to just drinking beer too, like to just sit and yeah. just have some one beer, the same beer all night is okay. If you want to sit there and just pour big steins of a of a lager and just just drink them and just hang out and laugh with your friends, that's okay. And like, yeah, that's, it, that's totally okay. Especially you know with you know the current state of. Yeah. bar culture now, in this country. Now, right having now, said yeah. that, if if that's what you're doing every night, then I think you're missing out on sure, something. Sure, sure, right? sure, sure. I mean, you, you gotta, there's got to be some variety balance. in your diet. It's all about balance. Yeah. Balance is the <laughs> word of the night, balance. Yeah. It's been the word of like the last like month on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit, before we get to the next beer, about the history of Warped Wing. Um, how did this come about? You guys have been around. I don't know if people realize how long you've been around. You guys are right up there with kind of the what I consider the the boom that we've kind of experienced down in Cincinnati when that when that started, you guys were doing the same thing up here in Dayton and trying to trying to create this same kind of um, uh, boom here in Dayton, you know, yeah. or, or there in Dayton. I don't know if we say here, or there. I don't know how that works, but here, there, everywhere. <laughs> um, you guys started 2014, like early yeah. January. Um, uh, Talk about how the, the project came about and how you guys came on board and everything, too. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting story. Uh, you know, we're about seven years old. Uh, and it started out with two of us, uh, myself and Joe Wiseman. And um, long story short, I mean, it's, it's a long story, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Uh, Joe had worked for my dad uh, here in Springboro, actually, at Allied Wine. Uh, and they, Joe is the beer division manager. Um, I wanted to talk to my dad about some business ideas and in beer, I was working for Anheuser-Busch and I wanted to move back home and do something. And originally where I was, it was more on the distribution side. Like, Hey, you know, I was starting to get into craft beer, Mm -hmm. uh, but working on the AB side, I didn't see where the path was for distribution for a lot of these guys. So my, my idea, I was living in Indiana at the time and it was a different landscape over there. And I thought, well, maybe craft distributor, uh, is an opportunity. And so my dad set up a meeting with Joe and, you know, I kind of talked through my idea and, you know, Joe politely said, Hey, it's a good idea, but here's how things lay out over in Ohio. You know, you already had premium, you had Cavalier, you had uh, Heidelberg who had a bunch of brands, Bombright. There was a lot of distributors that had, you know, a lot of blue chip brands at the time. Right. He said what Dayton really needed was a, a brewery. You know, since then Thirsty Dog had gone out 
Miami Trail and Xenia had closed down. There was nobody making beer. And this was probably 2007, 2008 uh, timeframe. And so, you know, that was interesting to me. It kind of got my wheels turning. Uh, you know, Joe had his own business. He was doing events, craft beer festivals, education, all that stuff. So I kind of went, you know, I befriended Joe. I was trying to learn more about craft, uh, joined his event team, was participating, just trying to inject myself into craft as much as possible. Um, was looking at actually investing in a brewery in St. Louis uh, that I used to work with some guys at Urban Chestnut, if you've yeah, ever heard. Yeah. yeah. So my cousin actually went and got involved in that one. Um, so I came back to Dayton. I remember Joe and I were sitting at a bar and uh, talking about this St. Louis brewery. And he's like, you know what? We really should do this in Dayton. And that was kind of the, the defining moment of like, all right, we're going to move forward with doing this. And so we brought on another guy uh, who was our CFO, kind of our financial guy. And, you know, we, we started writing a business plan. We started looking for buildings and, you know, really putting the plan together. Um, but there was one missing component. You know, we had, we had a guy that was entrepreneurial, Joe, you know, he's president. Uh, you know, Mike was a financial guy. We had, you know, I could do sales and marketing. Uh, but we didn't have anybody to make the beer. Somebody's got to make it. Yeah, it's like, so that's kind of a key component to it and um so we had talked to a couple of guys and uh coincidentally john my friend john here uh was the head brewmaster at new holland brewing company and he was in town doing an event at the culinary company joe and him had become friends at judging at gabf together and so uh joe told me that john was in town i said well hey you know if you go up there and see him why don't you ask him if he knows anybody that we might you know want to come to Dayton and, and be part of a, a startup brewery. And so, you know, they finally got together, I think went out to lunch, whatever. And Joe told John about her project. And, um, you know, I guess they had a nice lunch at, at Thai nine and which yeah. was nice. There was a time. And, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, not knowing it now, like John and his wife, Danielle, uh, when they left, I guess they were talking about, Ohio and Dayton and the, the opportunity there. And, uh, May I interject? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and so, that part. So that's more or less true, uh, what Nick's described. But I actually put forward a suggestion for somebody else. Uh, and it was a guy that, that used to work for me. Uh, and at the time, he was, he was working for some other brewery. Uh, his name's John Stewart. Uh, John actually ended up running Parent Brewing Company out of Grand Rapids yeah. for a long time. Uh, and John was really, and is really talented guy. Uh, you know, love John, and he's going to be successful at whatever he does. I know he's he's subsequently left there. I don't I don't know exactly what he's doing right now. He's out there if anybody's looking for somebody awesome. <laughs> um, so I had suggested John because I knew that that he was good, and uh, you know, I went home and kind of forgot about it, and then. Some stuff happened at work, and I decided that um, I wanted to, to change where I was working. And uh, so I, I left New Holland, and then I called Joe, and I was like, well, you guys still looking for somebody? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Yeah. And I was like, great. So, um, and, you know, I went to college here at Miami, here in Southwest Ohio. So I was familiar with Southwest Ohio and living in this area and what it was like. And 
So it worked out. It was good. I, I knew it'd be a great place for my wife and I to raise our son and, and that we would be happy and it's close enough to our families, uh, who, both of which were in Michigan, um, so we can get back and see them. And, and so it worked out. And of course, the team was great. And it's been great working with these guys. And, and uh, you know, so it's been good. I got to tell you my geek moment without making John's head too big. But, <laughs> you know, thinking that we were just going to get, you know, one of his protégés. Uh, when John said that he was interested, I was actually on my way to Chicago. And I stopped at the closest liquor store to my hotel. And I bought every New Holland beer I could find. <laughs> And I was drinking out of plastic cups. They didn't even have glassware. I was drinking out of plastic cups, Dragon's Milk, you know, Mad Hatter. Yeah, he regrets that now, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, it was why like, did we hire this asshole? No, oh, fuck no. We, you know, we, we get along great. John and I. Uh, we do. That's I mean, true. your business partner is almost like your wife. I mean, sometimes spend more time with them than your own wife. Right. So um, yeah. it was a game changer for us. And I think it really completed the whole thing. And, you know, here we are seven years later. Uh, you know, slow, steady growth, right? We're not trying to set the world on fire or take it over. We're just well, trying to... There's a lot of breweries that opened about that same time that kind of took different paths to get where they yep. are that, 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 are, that might, might have wished they have taken the path you guys did and yeah. the other way you guys did things because it seems like you guys have done everything right to me to, to get to where you are today and there's yeah i don't know i don't know if i would say that <laughs> you guys are looking at it from I, a very different i love you i love you yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you for thinking that um no my love you yes well you, you know I, right you know i i i look a lot at a lot of our peers uh that opened about the same time namely like the guys at ryan guys guys at sure. mad tree i mean they're a lot bigger breweries than we are in terms of output and cash flow therefore and all that stuff you know and without a doubt there's there's part of me that's like wow that would be really cool to be part of that right but then i also will step back and i think about just the headaches that are involved in managing our own little business here you know little in comparison and it's like wow i don't know if i need any more <laughs> of these headaches i can't imagine what it's like for those guys uh and so you know the grass isn't always greener you know right. every every group has its own path in its own sort of dream that it needs to try to fulfill and you know it's not it, not one size fits all right there there are multiple you know definitions of what success looks like if if you could travel back in time would you do things the same way you guys did to get to where you are now or were the things that you would do differently I, I think there's things that we would do differently but I don't know that the outcome necessarily looks a whole lot different right? right timing might look different or certain mistakes that we made along the way you know you might want to correct i mean nobody's perfect um so i'm not going to say that i wouldn't change anything in the past seven years but but you but, would want uh, the, the, but I, the, the I have picture no, of what you guys are today yeah but i'm, I'm really ecstatic with what we have yeah. and what we've accomplished in uh you know, and, and where we're headed. Um, so it's good. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, there was, the pandemic's changed a lot. Right. You know, there's I think, a pandemic? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Do you even know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. But, Can you spell that? You know, before the pandemic, I would say, man, you know, I wish we would have just opened up a small brewery and did some taproom only releases. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then, you know, the pandemic hit, and it's like, dude, I'm so glad that we had distro and we had, 
what we had. You know, I'm glad that we had self-distribution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that we had, you know, kind of the market presence that we had because that really kept us yeah, how, how many guys are out there right now that are working the crap out of their October crowler machine trying to can 16-ounce yeah. cans just trying to get something out the door? And, like, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's the thing that's interesting. I, I've talked to a number of the, the other local guys here, a, a lot of whom don't package, right? And, uh, you know, that's the advice that I've given them. It's like, listen, you, you got to get a bottle machine. Yeah. You got to get a can machine. You got to get something, that allows you to put your beer in a package so people can take it home with them uh, or come and pick it up or you can put it on a shelf. Right. Uh, even if you're not going to sell a gajillion cases a year, you got to do something because you don't want to be in a position where, you know, even if you're, if you're the brewer and you don't have a stake in the company whose ownership, you don't want to get laid off, right? right? You, you need to find a way to be able to continue to drive revenue into the cash drawer for the person that owns the business. That's the only way you don't get laid off. Right. You know, I mean, I I think a lot of breweries, not only that have recognized that I said the same thing like to Jason. I mean, he recognized it. He started shopping can lines, you know, during the shutdown and was making moves. And then also, you know, added a kitchen. And I don't know if that was pre pandemic or what, but I think you got a lot of guys out there reevaluating the revenue sources. And yeah. when you get shut down, like, you know, JMO was at, that plan was in place before the pandemic. Yeah. That, but it I, didn't get executed until we were in it, but yeah. he, he'd been working on it before that. But now yeah. if we get shut down again, he's got food, you yeah. know, curbside carry out. Yeah. Well, I think in, you know, going forward, it changes what breweries are going to look like, what it looks like to open a tap room. You have to start thinking about stuff like that. Then, yeah. you know, yeah. God, you know, willing, COVID will be gone by then, but you just never know what's going to happen around oh. the corner. And it used to, I think that, you know, there used to be this kind of comfort. When, again, you guys are coming from a very different perspective. A comfort in craft beer yeah. that things go the way they go. Growth is normal. Maybe it's slowed down quite a bit in the last few years, but, it, you know, growth is yeah. still normal. Yeah. Well, and, and really, the tap room was king, right? And, I mean, and it's, sure. frankly, it still is. I'm not. No one's gonna say otherwise. As long as you can have your tap room open, right. it, it's it's what drives uh, revenue and in in profitability for virtually every craft brewery, regardless of their size. I think it's what makes people fall in love with craft beer too. And yeah. then maybe and you, get to the, you know, put a really personal face on the experience. Right. And it's it's huge, right? Uh, it's it, but you got to have alternative methods right. of delivering your beer to the consumer because that's the the time that we're living in. Right. Let's drink another beer. Let's do Perfect. it. Um, should I go? You could go either way at this point. You got two beers sitting there. Uh, I'm going to suggest that you go with the esters first. Okay. So Esther's Little Secret is a, another collaboration that you guys do every year mm-hmm. around this time of year. We, you know, we're, obviously we're drinking the beer, so it just happened. But um, you guys team up with Esther Price. Uh, they started in Dayton. Massive candy company. Again, we're familiar with them in Cincinnati. They're all over the place. Everybody's got the Esther Price box of chocolates that they give to somebody around Christmas time mm-hmm. or yeah. you know Valentine's Day or whatnot. Um, it's a it's a brilliant collaboration, but at the same time, it just it, it makes so much sense for who you guys are as a 
as a brand too. You guys have done this amazing job of taking the idea of Dayton and creating a story out of that that contains all these other little stories that you know, teach us about Dayton. <laughs> I, well, I'm, you know, Dayton, it's fun. Dayton's been this forgotten gem that's out yeah. there. I mean, it's the gem city, right? You know, but there's a lot of awesomeness about Dayton that people have lost sight of. Yeah. And, you know, it was important for us, uh, and particularly, I think, for Nick, because he's native to Dayton. I'm, I, I moved here. Uh, but to, to plant a flag in the ground and say, you know, it's... It's cool, cool to, be. to be from Dayton. Yeah. You know, that, that's absolutely acceptable for you to feel like it's cool to be from Dayton because you know what it is cool to be from Dayton. It's a, that's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at people feeling that way. I'm surprised that you guys were able to, to create a brand that does that and is good and is a, is a natural feeling. It's, it's, you know, I, I keep wanting to use an example, but if you, you know, it's, it's easy to just create a brand around a city and then not do anything with that and, and kind of, you know, it's, you've got that in every city. There are brands that, that are about that city that just don't then. Well, you know, have you through. seen fast yeah. times at Ridgemont Han? Sure. Right. And they're in, you know, rats getting advice from, I can't remember that character's name about what to do on a date, you know, and you, wherever you go, you always act like this is the, the coolest thing that's going on. <laughs> right. I mean, it's the absolute truth wherever you are. That's it. Right. Right. That's the coolest thing there is. That's why you're there. If it wasn't cool, you wouldn't be there. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, hey, you know, we're here and we think it's cool because if we didn't think it was cool, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. So step up yeah. and start owning your coolness because it's fucking cool. But the ability to to take these these stories like Esther's or um, Ermal's or, uh, you know, Trotwood, whatever it is, like to take these stories that are very Dayton, yeah, but that stand kind of alone on uh, by themselves too. Like it's just, it's so well. You know, so, I got to give so Nick brilliant. a lot of credit. I mean, as as a, a native son of Dayton, you know, he's in tune with this stuff, and he's he's been awesome at digging that stuff up. Right. I mean, a lot of stuff people had forgotten about and were glossing over, and right. And he's he's really done an awesome job of pulling that forward. You're recording, right? Yes. You're recording this <laughs> yes. I will. Uh, no, I I'll send you a copy that, that you can yeah. display it all the time. Your ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's awesome. Nick's awesome. awesome. Oh, John's oh, John must me. be calling. <laughs> hey, John, can you just call me? Yeah. Even if you don't have anything to say, just call me. Uh, so going back, going back to Esther's, um, you guys, the beer is different every single year. You don't tell people ahead of time what it's going to be, which I think is just so much fun. I'm always, you know, doing digging as good as I can, trying to figure it out. And then, you know, debating whether or not I'm going to spoil the secret. Uh, yeah. It's so much fun to do. Um, what is this year's? Tell me about this year's batch. So um, I'll tell you about the style. And I, it's also a cool story about me and John on how this came to be. Um, I actually had a connection with the family at Esther Price. So, uh, I went to school with the grandsons, and so we had a connection. Um, but when we were coming up with the first rendition of the beer, you know, we were trying to come up with a name. And the first one that John did was a Scottish ale with caramel, caramel. And so we actually, one of our team members was in Scotland, and so we're like, hey, come up with some Scottish names, whatever. And we couldn't 
you couldn't come with anything. So I kept going to the website and, you know, there was a story about Esther Price herself. And uh, it said in there that Esther's secret was locally made products, you know, buttercream, uh, locally sourced milk and that. And so, you know, kept going Esther's little secret. And I threw that out there and it's like, oh, you know, it's kind of cool. And then John and I just kind of like, I went into his office and I forget who said it was like, Maybe, I think Mick John said, like, well, wouldn't it be cool if the beer was, like, different every year? And I was like, yeah, that would be fucking cool, you know? And then I walked over to my office, and then I, I get chills right now thinking about it. I fucking had this epiphany, and I walk into John's office, and I go, John, Esther's little secret. The beer is a secret <laughs> every year. And he's like, yes. And that was like, that's how shit works in a small... Yeah. And it was just, and it's beautiful. And I would tell you, it's not an easy program. <laughs> That's why no other brewery in the world does it because yeah. it's, it's stressful. It's awesome. It's fun. It's exciting. But you're always on pins and needles with how it's going to be. And you still got people hollering for 2015, right. you know, milk chocolate brown. And it's like, hey, that's not what this is. We don't want to give you what you want because... If we did, you wouldn't want it anymore. Right. You know, trust me, we're looking oh, out we're for here you. We're to give you what you need. Yes, yes. So uh, this year, uh, we went kind of like old school. Um, you know, we've we've toured the factory with Esther Price. We've looked at all their pro- – we have a list of ideas and stuff. Actually, we got a meeting next week to brainstorm, uh, me and the brewers, John and, and Fred, to talk about some ideas. But uh, we went with the double fudge uh, this year. So, you know – Straight up chocolate bomb and uh, and and cream stout, milk stout, so a little sweetness and just chocolate. And uh, I'll let John talk about the beer. But you guys do is every year now. You do a regular and a barrel aged version. I know that that yeah that we started, started doing last that year, for the right? yeah we started doing that for the fifth anniversary uh, of the you know of the collaboration, um, and it was a big hit. So we're like well. We can keep doing that. You know, yeah. people like that. Why not? Why not just go with it? So we've continued to do that. We'll see. There's no guarantee that that continues, but, you know, for now. And like Nick said, I mean, this is how much, you know, we're, we're meeting to talk about next year. So it's not like we have multiple years planned out. Uh, you, you know, we we have to do this every year. And even if... Like, we'll get in the meeting. We might have two or three ideas. We're like, oh, yeah, that'll be good for the next two or three years. We're still going to reconvene next year and go, you sure you want to do that one? <laughs> we picture, can talk about it again and change it up, right? I picture some big locked uh, suitcase that gets opened up with little scraps yeah. of paper with these ideas on it. It's like the Grammys <laughs> or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting and it's fun, you know, and, and the team is bought in, right? I mean, we have a really close-knit circle of people that are in the know as to what it's going to be. Uh, not how's, everybody. How small in. is this group? Uh, it's it's probably a, it's probably about Four ten five. people. No, it's probably about ten. I mean, because the, the, oh, the everybody on the brewing team, team knows what it is because yeah. they have to make it. Uh, how how secret is it? Like if if when it's in a tank, if I walk back, there's our clipboard on it with a recipe on it that I can kind of look at. That no, no. So it's secret as <laughs> it's secret. Yeah, <laughs> so fun. It's like I to the fact where I have a generic sell sheet that I send to like retailers. And I don't tell them. It's like, because they share that with like big groups of right. women. And it's like, I can't let that out. I'm right. sorry. You know, right. it's, and 
I just saw a check-in on Untapped today, and the guy was like, I love this. I look forward to finding out what the secret is every year. And that's what makes it. There's some anticipation. Yeah. Right? It's like Christmas Day. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, what's it going to be? Is it going to be awesome? Am I going to like it? Or I, am I going to be? I think it's fun. I, I think you guys should take it even to the point of, like, you've got your cans with the shrink wrap label or whatever, and then a paper label on top of that that you have to peel off to even <laughs> see what type of beard. You can't yeah. even see it on the can. Like, I just go all out. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's fun. I think it's it is. Uh, it, it, it is fun. It, it's fun. And, you know, but it's a, it, I mean, it's a challenge for all the teams, right? I mean, because the brewing team, we've got to constantly reinvent it. And, you know, and that's a challenge in and of itself. For the sales team, you know, they've got to, like, convince people that this iteration is awesome. And, right. like, you should be buying it, you know, and, and get it. And, you know, there's yeah. challenges for everybody uh, in, in, in the whole system. Um, so it's not... It, frankly, you know, when I suggested to Nick years ago that that we do this, I didn't expect him to accept because of the work that goes into it, you know, yeah. from a sales and marketing perspective. But I'm glad that he did. It's yeah. fun. I think it's, you know, I, I love, you know, the other types of really, you guys do Whiskey Rebellion every year. And that's, I love releases like that, too, where you, you kind of, I mean, you kind of know what you're, what you're mm-hmm. expecting each year out of that. But um, just that idea of, similar to like when you walk into a tap room for the first time and you have to sit there and you look at the board like what is there what am i what am i getting today like what's what's new what i've never been here before what's their beer like and just that excitement of just not knowing what you're going to be drinking beforehand it's just well, you know it's what? fun to me there's there's no really great surprises anymore there's not you know i mean most people don't wait to find out what they're having they you know gender reveals they find out what they're having it's right. like you know and this is a surprise and it's become a tradition and that's what we wanted that's what we hoped for we wanted just like you said people give that gold box for the holidays we want this beer or these beers to become a part of that tradition and it has like i had a guy on facebook last night messenger he goes hey do you have the bottles i've i've been collecting them since and i'm like dude that is yeah that they probably awesome. doesn't even open it right or yeah. drink it you know yeah well and it's interesting too just from a demographic perspective uh, you know in past years we, we had these huge events around the release and of course you know we can't do that this year but um, the people that come to the Esther's release tend to be different than the people that come to the other releases right because we're, we're, we're dipping into a different demographic because right. they're, they're not only fans of beer but they're fans of Esther Price and so some of those people aren't beer people, right? And that's awesome. I mean, that, for us, I mean, that's yeah, a total win. And it's just, it's just interesting to see who comes, right, uh, to, to support that. Um, so even though a lot of times there are these, like this year, it's this sort of imperial milk stout thing. That's not a highly accessible beer, but yet we get all these non-beer people well, you throw, coming and you drinking throw a double fudge into the well, game. yeah. <laughs> but 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 you know what I mean? It's just like it's awesome, you know. I love to see it. I mean, and it's this little sort of wormhole that creates a path into craft beer yeah, for well, people that might not otherwise go for it. You we, know what I mean? We've seen it kind of back down in Cincinnati. You know, you see releases like the Graders collaboration with Braxton, or mm-hmm. when Listerman did the Fiona beer. 
and you see people that line up and it's like, oh, I don't, I don't like beer. I just yeah. eat my Fiona cans. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like you see stuff like that happening. It's like, man, that's that's crazy. But that's 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 fun. That, that's yeah. exciting yeah. to see. And like yeah. this is Absolutely. this is their first time being at a, a brewery or being at a beer release. Right. And, and, and like that's crossing finding, over. Yeah. finding their own bigger. excitement. And then while they're here, they grab a beer and they're like, oh, oh, this is. Yeah. What I and, thought then craft you, beer was. and then you move them over. Right. Well, and it's like you said, telling stories, you know, making Fiona, it was a big deal already, but you put her on a can and that much, how many more people heard about it because of that? And, you know, Esther's little secret, Esther Price, you know, it's bringing a new set of demographic for them. You know, we're obviously tapping into their heritage and their uh, notoriety, but we're also bringing in a new younger set of people to their chocolates. And it's just a beautiful beautiful partnership it's, it's what it's all about yeah, it's, dude. it's so much fun i love oh, it yeah love it so much i can't even like it it's the stuff that uh, not that i don't love just going to a brewery and just drinking beer because that that's obviously why we all kind of got into this but um these new ways of thinking about it are what get me really excited about where craft beer is today and where craft beer is going to be you know however many years down the road as long as governor doesn't keep shutting us down but um <laughs> talk about how you guys so you had your original location up in dayton things were going great you guys distributing beer to cincinnati obviously dayton columbus yep. is that it yeah and then northwest ohio northwest ohio and toledo yeah um you then decide to open a second location which is where we're at right now how did that come about how did the uh, decision to do it here versus somewhere else how, how did that all happen uh okay I'll, I'll i'll start that um you know we'd been looking for the next project for for a minute like what where where are we going what's what's going to happen next and there had been a few different things that had been put on the table uh that we thought well you know that might work or this other thing might work and then for a variety of reasons they weren't panning out. And so um, I guess it was about, um, you know, spring of 2019, I think, maybe, 18. you know, winter of 2019, somewhere in that range. You know, we had sort of run the design gamut on, on these options. And it's like, you know, this, none of this stuff is going to work. It, it, you know, it doesn't make financial sense. It, it's there are these hurdles in the way that we can't overcome and we just gotta we gotta walk away and so what are we gonna do and so at the time you know we had the the brewery in the tap room downtown we had a warehouse on the north side of Dayton and the warehouse on the north side of Dayton really represented sort of an expense center for us um we didn't generate really any revenue I mean Obviously, everything that went out to market came from there and so forth. So, But, you know, we didn't have any retail dollars coming in there. We were paying X amount per month. And it's like, well, look, you know, maybe we need to think about, you know, what are we paying for this warehouse? And can we go buy a warehouse? And if we do that, can we put a retail component into it and make it a revenue center versus just an expense center? And if we were going to do that, where would it be, right? And so we started to make this short list of towns, really between Cincinnati and Columbus, 
we weren't we weren't ready to go to Cincinnati. We weren't ready to go to Columbus. And I don't know, maybe we won't ever be. Maybe we, we will. I have no idea. But it was like it, it has to still sort of have access to Dayton because it's our distribution center. Right. And we also use it as our as our receiving center for raw materials, cans, you know, malted barley, hops, etc. So it had to have some proximity still. And so we, we put together this short list of, of towns that we were interested in, in. In Springboro was on that list. In fact, it might have been at the top of that list. And it just so happens, as Nick referenced earlier, this developer that had redone a building, you know, that's a neighbor of ours uh, and had been talking to us, called me and said, hey, uh, we've got this project in Springboro we'd like to talk to you about. And uh, I, I literally had just walked out of this meeting where we put this list together maybe 15 minutes prior to that phone call. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, we, we might be interested in having that conversation. Uh, by the way, we need a warehouse. Can you do that? And they were, and they were like, ooh, mm, right, maybe. But, you know, they were motivated and we were motivated and... and uh, we got together with the city of Springboro, and, and they were motivated. And uh, it happened, right? And it's like, this, this is the right deal. Because we were able to flip that expense center into a revenue center for us. And um, not to get too business jargony or whatever. But then, of course, it was a matter of like making it cool and hip and, and all that stuff and making it feel good. Right. But still be functional and serve the purpose that... You know, we needed to fulfill the desire of the community uh, and fulfill the, the sort of cool funkiness of a tap room and still have the functionality of that distribution center. In, in well, and it's, it still fits into this whole development. You, when you're yeah. walking around outside here, it feels like a small kind of restaurant space. And you walk in and you see what it really you can't, even even when you walk in you still can't really even see what it is like it's yeah. it's it's kind of hidden away the fact that there's a massive warehouse attached to it yeah um that's that's really difficult to do on a lot of different levels you guys we had some have, really good designers yeah. you yeah. you have a uh, adora here so people can you know get get beers and walk around outside you have um, obviously food here you have a um, you know barbecue and people can come in here and eat dinner like it just it fits all these different needs i think for, for an area like this for for you guys for like it's just it's absolutely brilliantly done and um i i, I can't i can't give you guys enough kudos for how it all came well, together thank you i do have to say this barbecue is a sauce or a smoker <laughs> yes <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. There's, there are several uh, regions in this country that would disagree with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's an inside joke. Uh, when we first opened, like the f- soft opening, uh, it was actually a group from Cincinnati came up and Aaron, our culinary director and GM, you know, he was, he goes, dude, this is some of the best barbecue I've ever had. And Aaron goes, barbecue is a sauce. We are a smokery. And I, Lost it, and there may or may not be a T-shirt in the works with that on it. I'm just saying, but it was a cool point of pride, and you know, branding and all that. But um, yeah, this this is an interesting place for us, and I think it's cool that you know before our warehouse was just hidden away, right. and 
you know, when you go down to Wyandotte, you can see all the, the full-scale production, you know, the brute kettles, the tanks, everything. But no one really got to see the warehouse. And I love watching people come in here and they look through the glass and they're like, oh, my God. You know, they love that. It's an, right. it's an unintended. It's like having an open kitchen. Yeah. Right. right. It was an unintended uh, thing that people appreciate. And that's really cool. And uh, I love that about it. And it's real. I mean, it's not, this isn't just a, a tap room put in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a functioning distribution hub, barrel room, pilot. Well, we're in the fermentation hall right now. We, we talked a little bit when, when I first got here before we started recording about just kind of this idea of new construction and putting a brewery in new construction and the, the hurdles that come along with that. And uh, there are lots of examples of places that have either, you know, their first place or maybe an expansion where they open a large kind of warehouse space and it feels like that. You walk in and it's big and it's empty and there maybe there's some tanks stashed to one side that you can see, oh yeah, they do make beer here. Maybe not. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's just it doesn't it doesn't have the soul that that everybody loves about craft breweries. And you guys have have managed to add that personality and that soul into the space in a lot of the same ways that you had it, you know, kind of thrust upon you, uh, you know, in your original location there. And it's, it's, yeah. it's just, again, really, really well done. And um, everybody should kind of should come up here and kind of look at it and, and, and appreciate what that is and what that from a, uh, from a difficulty standpoint of trying to do that and trying to, you know, keep your brand, create a new brand. It, it it's. Thank you for that. And yes, yeah. they should come up here. Yes. They should. Yeah. Yes. Please come up. It's not that far. It's it's part of Cincinnati as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think <laughs> I want to touch on that. And I, I, I think John feels the same way as I do. It's when this place got finished out, you know, I, w- I couldn't be more proud of the fact that, you know, it was the total opposite of what we did downtown, where we took the character and, and went with it. And this one, we took some of that character and baked it in here. And we created stories. And by stories, I mean, like, you know, John and I spent time, you know, in, in a little bit of money, but not too much. It's like you just have to care, right? You have to right. care about details like where the the bar top came from, you know, a very unique piece of wood that we went walked miles of warehouse space down in Fairfield at this company that had miles and miles of warehouse of wood and some of the most beautiful wood that you've ever seen and taking that time to, to source that out and then finding the right local craftsmen and it really hit me when I started to give tours of this place. And I was like, oh, my God, we have stories here on a tour. Like the right. stave wall is all our staves. The, John had the thought of saving the uh, steel I-beams from the dance studio that was torn down uh, to make way for the brewery. You know, they got relocated into the Performing Arts Center but to, and utilize those on the street bar. And mm-hmm. so... Those are stories of reusing and just thought. And it doesn't have to cost a million dollars. It just takes time to think about it. And just, it just takes attention. Well, just like making beers a craft, right? All these guys that helped us build this place out, they're all craftsmen, mm-hmm. right? And if you give them a little rope and you trust them, they can come up with some really cool stuff, yeah. right? And they'll sit there and they'll try to describe it to you. And it's like, you know... <laughs> I don't really get what you're telling me you're going to do, but you know what? We've been working together trust long enough. I'm going to trust you. Just do it and, and make it look cool. And they yeah. do. And uh, 
Well, it's the same way that, you know, each year I trust you guys to create Esther's little secret into yeah. something that I want <laughs> yeah. to drink. Yeah. <laughs> it could Fair be. enough. I mean, we've all opened that box of chocolate and you bit into that one that you thought was going to be something else that wasn't. And oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hard you guys, you guys haven't done that yet with Esther's little secret. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk about this other beer before we, uh, we start kind of wrapping things up here. Um, this is Carajillo. Car- 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 yes. Uh, this- I'm not going to touch this one. This is all John. Uh, this was a collaboration with some guys in Michigan. I'm going to let John tell you about it. And uh, I will say this before John goes. It's one of my favorite beers on the board right now. Uh, I hadn't had it. And then I remember like the first weekend that we opened. And I, even with a mask on, I would stand by people that had this beer and I could smell the rum barrels and the, the amber malt and the coffee. And I was like, what? I got to get that. <laughs> I had it on my date night like two weeks ago. It's, it's my favorite beer up there right now. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've become friends with these guys at Witch's Hat through a, a various, you know, network of, of, people but my friend john's one of the sales guys up there and i've known john for jesus i don't even know how long he was working at some restaurant in grand rapids back when i was you know living and working up there in michigan i've known him ever since so those guys reached out and they're like hey let's do something together and it's like yes let's do something what are we gonna do and so we started talking about i don't even know you know, you know, like any collaboration, you know, ideas are flying, and, you know, no single person can claim credit for any of it. You know, it's a group effort. The, the, and, the right collaboration. Yeah. Is supposed to be that way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we're like, OK, we're going to make this this beer. We're going to age it in rum barrels and we're going to add coffee to it. And well, what should it be? Well, I don't, well, let's make sort of a big amber, you know. Oh, and let's put you know, turbinado, sugar, demerara, or, you know, sugar in the raw. Let's do some of that. And, you know, so, cause it'll taste good. Not because it made some style, right? But because it's like, oh, those ingredients will fit together and make something awesome. Right. And so it was really fun. Cause a lot of times people get caught up in like, oh, we got to make a style. And it's like, well, Styles overrated. You're speaking my language. You know? It's like I'm more interested in flavor. I want, you know, if it, if it tastes good, it is good, right? Period. That's it, right? If, if people like it, it's good. So, and sometimes we get caught up because, you know, a lot of the competitions, competitions are all about how well did you execute style. And there's value in it. Don't get me wrong. There is, there is value in that, but... It's limited. There's other cool stuff that you can do. And uh, so, anyway, so these guys were game. We were game. We, we did it. We sat on it for a while. We aged it for a year, maybe 14 or 15 months. I'd have to go back and look. It was, it was for a while. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, because we were supposed to open this thing in June. And so we had originally made it to coincide with that. Right. And they were going to come down. We were going to all get, you know, 
jacked up and drink too much and whatever. John, have a big so party. <laughs> you know, and it was going to be good fun. And what? And then the pandemic landed and they're like, you know, it, it, we're late because stuff got delayed. You couldn't get raw materials and, did it, and we didn't know until the end of August. And we're like, hey, you guys ready? And like, no, we can't come down because we got our own thing going. And whatever, you know, so it didn't work out, you know, from a party perspective, quite the way we wanted it. But from a beer perspective, it turned out great, you know. Uh, and so the name, Carajillo, is it, it's a rum drink, you know, with sugar and coffee in it, right, which is what we've sort of created with beer. It's, it's still a beer, first and foremost, yeah. which, I, you know, it's, it's easy, like you said, trying to brew to style. If you're trying to do something that is you know, a, a cocktail-inspired beer. It's easy to try to create a cocktail in a beer. Yeah, well, and that you goes know, off the rails sometimes. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm going to be honest. We didn't try to create a cocktail in a beer. Exactly. And that's, we just made a beer that tasted good, and we're like, "What are we going to call it?" And it's like, "Oh, look, there's this cocktail that uses kind of all these same ingredients, this, yeah. and so we should just call it that, right?" It's and so we did. You don't see a lot of uh, rum barrel-aged beers around. Well, rums, those rum barrels suck. They're a pain in the ass to deal with. That's, I've always heard rum and tequila barrels, um, they use them until they can't use them anymore, and what you get is not always great. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't get to use all the barrels. Some of the barrels, you know, went by the wayside, you know. Um, whenever we're doing a barrel project, you know, we do quite extensive uh, microbiological QC testing on all the barrels. Because you could have, you know, 10, 20, 50 barrels, whatever it is. Each one is a separate set of data points. And if you got one bad one and you blend it in, it's going to ruin the rest of them. And so it's worth the effort. We go through and test every single barrel before we put them back through the system and, and package them. And, you know, you're going to get a certain percentage that are, are no good. And they get dumped uh, for microbiological reasons. But the rest go forward. Um, and sometimes you lose all of them. I mean, that's happened. Right. Um, you know, just part of the game. You know, it's part of the risk you take when it's, you sign up for this. It's, it's part of what makes barrel-aged beer fun, though, too, is that there is, like, that element of beer is very um, very controlled, very, very science-driven, very process-driven. It's, you know, if, you, uh, if you're, you know, tedious and careful and you pay attention to what you're doing, you can make good beer. Except when you throw barrels into it, the, the beer gods have their, their hand yeah. in it still. There is an element of uncontrollability with something like that. That makes it fun. Well, you know, there's some downstream stuff you can do. Like you could buy a pasteurizer or you could buy a sterile filter. And, you know, I've done some of that stuff at other breweries and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, because it allows you to save beer that you might otherwise have to right. have to get rid of. But, you know, we're a small brewery, and, you know, that kind of technology costs money. I mean, we don't have access to that sort of capital at this point to do those sorts of things. So for us, you know, you're, you're relying on the natural world to help does, protect you. you does know? sterilizing and pasteurizing barrels, though, does that take away something from the barrel well you don't sterilize the barrel right the barrel the barrel is what it is you put the beer in it and you let it roll but 
What you're doing is you're going through, so you're, you're pounding nails. Yeah, you're pounding nails into the barrel. You're tasting each barrel. You know, does it does it taste acceptable? If it still tastes acceptable, but it's got, you know, positive counts in your your QC microbiological testing, the bad bugs. Yeah, then then you can run it through a sterile filter if you have access to that, or you can run it through a pasteurizer if you have access to that, and it'll it'll stop it from going south. Right. Right. And, and so you can save it. Um, but there isn't really any way to sterilize wood. Uh, I mean, there are there, people, you look, know, steam and that kind of stuff. Yeah. To try to but do even something. then, I mean, the, the problem with with hot water and steam and, and I mean, you could do that. And I think like if you talk to Matt Brendelson, he'll tell you like how they prep their barrels is to like run you know, 190 degree water or whatever it is into the barrel until the outside of the barrel is like 180 degrees. And it costs a fortune, right? I mean, he'll tell you it costs a fortune. But they know that barrel is good. They've, they've basically autoclaved the barrel, right, the wood. That's, that's really hard to do. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. And, uh, you know, we just we don't have that sort of capital or space to, to do that and if you're doing that with a with a spirit barrel or a wine barrel or something you're going to wash the character of the barrel out as well by doing that um, so you know it, it's a it's a plus minus game right right so what are you going to do let's talk about craft beer in general um, the industry has changed a lot it keeps changing. It keeps evolving. Um, what What are you guys excited about in craft beer kind of overall right now? And what are some of the things that kind of uh, maybe make you take a second look at it and maybe you're not so excited about as far as what's happening? <laughs> That's a... Loaded finale. Well, you know, you know, I, I, I try not to dwell on negative. You know, there's always stuff that you you see, regardless of what walk of life you're involved in, or hobbies or interests that you could pick on and say, hey, you know, I, I don't like that. And, you know, I'm sure. If you press me hard enough, I could come up with some. But I try not to live in that space. Um, if I don't like it, I just I don't deal with it. Right. You know, and, and it's not my problem. I'm just not going to do it. Um, you know, in, in terms of stuff that I find interesting and, and exciting, uh, you know, Nick and I have talked a lot about this. I think we're going to be joining the export program this year. I really like what's Next happening. Year. Yeah, I really like what's happening in some of these international markets. I've, I've been going down to Mexico for the you know, last nine or ten years, judging beer competitions down there, and, and I like what's what's going on there. It feels like you know 1990 down there. It's 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 fresh and, and it's exciting, and these guys are really interested in what's going on and how to get better, and and it's very innocent. You know, there's no sort of ulterior motives, you know, they're genuinely interested in making better beer and they're genuinely interested in hearing what you have to say about making beer and trying to apply, you know, your hard-won lessons into 
you know, what they do in order to accelerate their timeline. And, and they're doing it quite successfully. You know, uh, the beer has been, has been getting better exponentially uh, over time down there. And it, it's, it's really interesting. And, and I've got friends in Germany and in Europe that are opening small breweries that are making beer that is derived out of American craft beer. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Germany and, and back when I was there, it was unthinkable that are somebody would, would make American style craft beer in Germany. But are yeah. they, are they doing it by not smashing a bunch of German beer when they open their brewery? Yeah. Well, that helps, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't need to just insult the entire country when you, that worked when you out start. Well. yeah, but, you know, the, the point being is that this notion of uh, different, right? I mean, we, we lived from like the 50s, 60s, 70s into the 80s, this notion of same and cheap was the driving factor, right. not only in beer, but in a lot of food substances, right? right. A lot of the stuff that you would buy at the grocery store. That everything, was, that was everything what drove came the in a can or a... Right. <laughs> And, you know, subsequent to that, you know, so, you know, sometime in the 80s, it started to move away from that and in, into the 90s. And in, uh, it's like, you know, there's, there's value in knowing the producers of those things that you eat and drink and understanding the differences in nuances between, you know, a beer from Dayton and a beer from Cincinnati and a beer from North Carolina or Florida or Texas or wherever. And, uh, you know, being appreciated for that. And that's starting to happen in beer in other countries as well. And it's really interesting to see that. It opens up a lot of really interesting opportunities just on a, for me on a personal and creative level because I get to go hang out with these brewers and make beer with them, sometimes in their place, sometimes in our place, um, and hear how they think about beer and what they want to try to accomplish. And you find different raw materials that they're using that you've never heard of um, that you can start to incorporate and, and do stuff with. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It makes it interesting. Um, it's, it's a really great exercise. Uh, and it's a good time. It's, it sounds like a good time to me. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I, that's what I like about it, you know. And, it, and it's a community, right? It's very communal. The people that are doing craft beer are hanging out with other people that do craft beer in their respective places. And, yeah, they're kind of like, hey, you know. It's life. Right. Let's let it roll. Let's right. see what happens, right? I mean, it, it's great. All right. Your turn. <laughs> do you want me to start with what I don't like or what I do like? Uh, let's start with what you don't like, and then we'll right. end on what you do like to end on a positive note. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, you know, like you said, it's changed a lot. Uh, there's a lot of breweries out there, uh, which means there's a lot more competition. Um, two of the things that I don't necessarily like is uh you know the invasion of the faux craft uh and that's you know growing as more of the big guys buy these craft breweries and then um you know personally i think they're they're trying to gobble up shelf space in the chains and and uh 
you know, squeeze the little guys out by saying, hey, we've got everything you need. Um, I don't like that. That's been going on for a while. It's nothing really new. Um, but what I do see coming, uh, you know, and ga- gaining steam is price wars. Um, you know, I hate to see that with, with competition and uh, not only with bigger package sizes and, and cheaper pricing. Uh, and there's some locals that are, are getting into that game. Um, but some of the bigger guys uh, that are still craft, uh, you know, leveraging their economies of scale uh, to, to put out some a lot cheaper. Right. You know, um, so that's definitely a threat uh, to us and, and what we're doing. And um, but I guess it's probably a part of the evolution of the industry. So just a couple of things I don't like necessarily where they're going, but um, that's OK. Uh, some of the things I do like that are happening um, with that, I think breweries, you know, it was funny that during the big boom, it was kind of like, yeah, we're all collaborative, but everybody was like a gold rush and, and they're trying to stake their claim. Uh, I think that's kind of subsided. And I think a lot of breweries have become comfortable in their own skin and aren't necessarily watching what their neighbor's doing and copying it. And, do you think in some weird way COVID has helped that yeah, a little bit too? I do. Making people kind of remember that they're all kind of in the same boat. And- yes, absolutely. I mean, for example, when COVID hit, you know, Jeff from Sonder called me right away and, and was asking me questions what we were doing. I was asking him what they were doing. And, you know, I spoke with Brady at Madtree a lot, uh, what they were doing, Nate at Yellow Springs. So we had a community of, of support and we were sharing secrets and sharing uh so it was like seven years ago when when that was the case um but i also think that you know people are settling in and, and they realize like it's okay do you do you right. and do it well and focus on that and i you know that's something that i feel really good about our our business and where we're headed is that this wasn't part of a five-year plan the place we're at now but it was an opportunity and we acted on it and it's working. And it's also given us kind of a renewed vision for the future. Uh, not necessarily like we're going to open a bunch of places, but it gave us uh, a glimpse into a new skill set. Like you said, like we can, we can build new locations. We can inject cool stuff into them. Um, so that's a new skill set that our team has uh, discovered. Um, the other thing that I like as far as a growth model is that we're not all going to, the days of becoming like a big regional, you know, they're still there. I mean, what Ryan Geist has done is incredible. You know, um, with Bob and Brian, you, you can't fault those guys. They had a plan. They executed the hell out of it. They did a great job. Um, but those opportunities, I think, are few and far between. Like John said, with the export program, likewise with uh, some of these growths into like, you know, just drops into spot markets, uh, I think is very interesting. Markets that we want to be in that maybe you know, has a craft uh, potential, but also somewhere we want to be, you know, like John mentioned Mexico uh, and then in the States, like, you know, Florida and in Chicago and different markets where you don't have to launch the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, we've got this barrel room. We can do some little drops and, and cool. And we're out, you know what I'm saying? I think that's a cool new evolution of growth and uh, growing your brand for the long term. And I think it's sustainable for a while. Um, because we, I mean, we don't even fill out the whole state, you know, we're, we're in half of it and we, I don't even know if we will, Right. you know, so there's just new opportunities of growth that aren't the standard. So 
You're gonna have to excuse me. <laughs> it's it's exciting. It's it's fun to watch. They're um, the world of craft beer, and it's crazy to think just in like you know the short period of time that I've been doing the show or that you guys have have been open. You know, like it, to see how much just in that time it has grown and evolved and changed, and this whole idea of what it means to be a brewery. How different that is! <laughs> it's nuts. It's, but it's so exciting to it think is. about, like you know, when when my kids are of drinking age and they're going to sit at a craft brewery to have a beer, what does that look like for them? Like how 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 normal is a part of their society? Is that for them? What does what does a craft brewery look like? It's you know, is it going back to that idea of uh, you know the neighborhood gathering spot again? Like, and yeah. I think it is. Like, I, I, I think you see it already, and like it's so much fun it is that's a great point because you know there's still the neighborhood tavern uh you know but this has become a breweries and tap rooms have become a communal gathering place right and for families you know young you've got young kids they've got young kids and uh it, it it's great and i think what's exciting about that if you have the ability to innovate and uh change course and and you know navigate this envi- this crazy world we're living in, then I think you could be here for the long haul, right? You know, and I mean we've we've lived through some crazy shit. Well, you you have to innovate. You have yeah. to be. You've got to. And, and craft beer is good about that. It's yep. It's a nimble industry, but you you have to be nimble. You have to be ready to shift and adjust and become what craft beer is. And, yeah, and uh, you got to listen to your people, like your customers, and you got to meet them. Right? You can't. You can't ignore them. You got to listen to your team. And there's so much learning that goes on all the time, man. It's, you it's guys, awesome. You guys definitely are doing it the right way. Um, you. You've definitely listened to your customers. Uh, you look at this place and it's clear that you have. Um, I'm a customer and I say, you need to have something in Cincinnati for me. <laughs> if you <laughs> well, really want to you know, listen to your customers. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to say this earlier, but, you know, Springboro, when John was talking about that list, Springboro was at the top of that list because I knew that the, this demographic was split, and I knew that if we got closer to Cincinnati, which we wanted to, uh, Cincinnati's a, a great market. It's a tough market, as you know. I mean, they support... We'd, we'd support a nice little Warpwing brew pub. Yeah. Just a really great... Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that that <laughs> hasn't been talked about, but, you know, um, our whole thing is, like John said, we got to get this thing going and, and running as, as well as it possibly can and slow, steady growth, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we love Cincinnati. We're we're happy that we're close. I can't tell you how many people are coming up from Cincinnati, and that's that's what we wanted. That's right. what the city of Springboro wanted. They wanted more people to see what's going on here, and and that's great to see, well, man. I've talked a lot about bridges between the you know, the Cincinnati beer scene and the Dayton beer scene, and um, you know, you see it with with places in Middletown and 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 now with Springboro, and like it's it's getting easier to tie it all together yeah. and um it's it's fun it's it it's a, it's a good time to be a beer drinker guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean sometimes it's probably a little overwhelming too <laughs> it is uh, you know but it's was, all about having a good time right yeah. i mean that's, that's what drinking beer is about that's I mean. the point of it and i i hope that everybody remembers that especially especially this year with all of the bullshit that's been going on it's still yeah this is still fun um even even when it doesn't look like it is like it's still it's still beer yep. and it brings you, people together even, even if we're six feet apart even if you have nothing to, but a party y'all <laughs> even I mean, if we're you just have dropping to, it on the one right i mean come on 
even bring if you your have mask. To, even if you have to zoom your friends and uh, and drink beer with them that way, just you know have a beer with somebody. It's yes. it's, it's why we do this. Um, tell people you guys are located right kind of at the corner of seven forty one and seventy three. Is that what this is here? Yeah, um, they call it the crossroads. Really uh, easy to find. Yeah, I mean we're just a, a short drive off the highway off seventy five, uh, head east. And we're right at the corner. You can't miss it. There's a, a humongous wing on the uh, end cap of the building. Looks like a hangar. It's absolutely gorgeous. You guys, you guys knocked it out of the park. Thanks, you, you can't miss it. And uh, the the this little area, what is the right station? Is that what they call yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Is, is so cool. I don't know what other kind of stores and stuff are open in here, but um, it is. It's a perfect little kind of outdoor space to to walk around. So far, the weather has been fantastic this year. Maybe we'll have a good winter where we can just walk around yes. all winter long. Let's all cross yes. our fingers. I would love that. For Keep so the patio reasons. open. <laughs> Keep the patio open. Um, thank you guys very much. Um, thank you. We'll have links to uh, social media and all that in the, uh, the show notes. I promise I'll remember to put them in there. Show notes. <laughs> Bane of my existence. Um, and... We'll be back next week with another show. We'll be back here at some point. We'll, we'll keep talking to you guys. Yeah, uh, you're yeah. welcome up anytime. We've yeah. got we've got some other fun stuff that we could do with you guys that uh, would be would be fun. So yeah, we're thank in. you guys very much, Cincy Brewcast. It's the voice of Cincy and Dayton. <laughs> <laughs>